Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. And you can send messages to the show on Twitter at go for it again, and while you're there on Twitter at go for it again, G O F O R I T G A N T. While you're there on Twitter, make sure you follow me at go for it again. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Carolyn Moose, the former fiance of Jason Collins. And as we know, this week Jason Collins announced to the world that he uh, he is gay. He announced to the world it was Tuesday. Big, big announcement, uh, shocked the, in the sports world, and big-time announcement. So we're going to talk to Carolyn, his former fiance. We're going to get her thoughts on the announcements, her thoughts on the relationship that they had. should be very interesting to get her take. Also, going to be joined by Pro Bowl offensive tackle Jermon Bushrod, and Jermon, who signed with the Chicago Bears in the offseason, big-time money, five years, $35 million, $17 million in guarantees. He will join us. He's got a big-time event coming up. Uh, Visualize and Rise Golf Tournament in Virginia coming up in June. So we're going to talk to him about that, talk to him about his new team, the Chicago Bears. And also we're going to be joined by BoxingScene.com writer Cliff Rold, who's going to give us the lowdown on the big fight tonight in Las Vegas, Floyd Mayweather, Robert Guerrero. May Day, May Day, May 4th is May Day, and that's going to be a big-time fight. Cliff Rold will be joining us at 1.45 p.m., Carolyn Moose will be joining us at 2.10 p.m., and also Jermon Bushrod will be joining us at 2.35 p.m. Make sure you stick and stay and listen. Let's start what we saw last night in the NBA. A lot of great action. Game sixes all around. Elimination games for the Clippers. Elimination game for the Rockets. Elimination game for the Pacers and Celtics. They're on the brink of elimination. On the brink of elimination. And by golly, all four of those teams were eliminated. Great basketball last night. Let's start with the Knicks and Celtics and what we saw there. I mean, the Knicks, you were concerned. If you were a Knicks fan, you had to be concerned coming into that game. You haven't won a playoff series in 13 years. You had to be concerned coming into that game. You were up 3-0 in this series. You gave away two games. Uh, you were wearing black the other night. Wednesday night, you guys came in wearing black. As like you were going to prepare for a funeral, as you told us, you were going to a funeral, the end of the Boston Celtics. Well, it didn't happen. The Celtics came out of the grave, and they won that particular game Wednesday night. And yesterday, the Knicks came out. The Knicks, you got to give the Knicks a lot of credit. They came out, and, and they were dominant from the beginning. Dominant from the start. Dominant from the start. Dominant from the start. He really was. The Knicks really were. Dominant from the start, dominated throughout the course of that game. And at one point in the fourth quarter, 
off 26 big points, 75 to 49. And then magic started to happen. Magic started to happen in that particular ball game. I mean, it was magical. Celtics scored 19 straight points in that particular game. 19 straight points. 19 in a row. 19 in a row. And they drew close. They drew close to six points. That's the closest they would get. They had opportunities. Pierce had an opportunity at a three, but he missed it. And they were close. Boston, I mean, it was a furious finish at the end. But the Celtics, you look at that team, and coming into that series, I had the Knicks winning that series in six. And coming into that series, you know, the Celtics had instant success, success I should say, after Rondo went down. But after that, I mean, it started, they started to level out. And the reality is it's hard to replace Rajon Rondo. It's hard to replace who many feel is the best point guard in basketball. Some feel he is the best point guard in basketball. It's hard to replace what he brings to the table. It's hard. The Celtics did not have a point guard in this particular series. Avery Bradley struggled, even though he had a good fourth quarter yesterday. He struggled. He struggled in that particular game. He struggled in that particular ball game. He struggled. And you look at the whole situation with Avery Bradley and everything with the Celtics. They didn't have a point guard. They missed Rajon Rondo. They missed Rajon Rondo. You knew the Celtics were going to show a lot of pride. They showed a lot of pride. They ended that game with a lot of pride. The Celtics have a lot of questions at this point. Where do they go from here? Is it time to depart with Pierce and, and Kevin Garnett? Is, is it time to do that? Or do they come back, reload again, and try to make another run at it? It's going to be difficult with the Miami Heat staring everybody in the face in the Eastern Conference. That's the bottom line. The Miami Heat is staring everybody in the face in the Eastern Conference. It's going to be difficult to get by the Miami Heat. It's just going to be difficult. The way LeBron James is playing, he's playing at an all-time level. He's going to win his fourth MVP. Had a big-time season. As long as you have Wade and and LeBron and Chris Bosh, the Heat are going to be a tough team to beat. And I didn't even mention Ray Allen. And I didn't even mention the contribution that they're getting from Birdman Anderson, Chris Anderson, and some of the great things he's doing for the Miami Heat. So it's going to be difficult for any team in the Eastern Conference to reload, retool, to beat the Miami Heat. Unless, as we've seen in the Western Conference with the Oklahoma City Thunder, unless the Miami Heat has some sort of injury. Injury is the only way, only way, only way, that the Miami Heat could lose in these playoffs, as far as I'm concerned, especially in the Eastern Conference. An injury is the only way, I think, for the next couple of years, could be the only way that the Miami Heat lose. It could be the only way. They are just that good. Now the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks move on. They have the Pacers next who beat the Atlanta Hawks. I heard Stephen A. Smith talk about this, and he said he really didn't want to talk about the Pacers and Hawks series, and I concur. I mean, that, that series was just um, just a boring series in a lot of ways. You know, the game, a lot of the games weren't even close. And the Hawks tend to get into these series over the years. I mean, just series where uh, – it was a few years back. I, I forgot the team they were playing, but 
it was a series where every game was a blowout. Every single game in that particular series was a blowout. And it was just, it was not a good series. And that's what you kind of had here. You know, the, the the Hawks dominated the Pacers on their home floor. Other than what we saw last night, the Pacers dominated the Hawks on their home floor. So, you know, you, you look at the whole situation in that particular series, it just was a boring series. Bottom line, point blank, it was a boring series. But the Pacers move on and they play the Knicks. And that should be a very interesting second round of the playoffs. And you look at the Knicks, they, Carmelo Anthony had to win this series. He's had a lot of issues getting out of the first round over his career. He had to win this series. First off, you're up 3 nothing. That's number one. And number two, your team won 50-plus games this year. You had to get your team out of the first round. A lot of people are questioning Melo in terms of his shot selection in some of those games, in terms of him just pounding the ball, holding the ball. A lot of people question Melo. He had to win that game for his legacy. He had to win that game. He had to, and he did. Give him a lot of credit. Give the Knicks a lot of credit. They came out and showed a lot of pride. I really like the way they play. Mike Woodson has done a remarkable job with this New York Knicks team. He really has. He's done a remarkable job with this Knicks team. Great job with this Knicks team. I mean, the way you look at this team, in a lot of ways, it's essentially the same team that Mike D'Antoni had. Essentially the same team that Mike D'Antoni had. So you look at it, you look at it, and you got to say, you know what, kudos to Woody, Mike Woodson, and the job that he did. He did a great job. He did a great job. There's no doubt about it. The series, the, the, the season that the Knicks have had, it's been a big-time series, big-time season, I should say. A big-time season for the New York Knicks. Give them a lot of credit. Give them a lot of credit. Give Mike Woodson a lot of credit. And so it was very, very – give a lot of credit to the Knicks and how they were able to go into Boston last night, go into Boston, and get out of there with a victory. That was big. That was big. And even, you know, you got to give Melo credit for holding his composure after what we saw in game five at the end of that game, where you had a situation where Jordan Crawford, seldom used reserve for the Boston Celtics, said to Melo, now Crawford denies it, but if you watch the video, I'm watching the video right now, and, you know, you can read lips. You can read lips. And what Jordan Crawford said was that bleep bleat your wife. He said that to Melo. And you got to give Melo a lot of credit because Melo held his composure. He held his composure. Give him a lot of credit for that because, you know, there's trash talking, and you can even argue that, you know, there's stuff that goes over the line. And that may have went over the line. Definitely may have went over the line. And this comes off the situation where you had Garnett and, and Melo going back and forth and, Mello, I mean, uh, Garnett reportedly reportedly said to Mello that your wife tastes like, I think, Honey Nut Cheerios or something of that, of that nature, something of that nature. Garnett denies it. You know, a lot of people deny it. But that was the report. That was the speculation that Garnett had said that to Mello pertaining to Carmelo's 
lovely wife, Lala Vasquez, Anthony. Well, so you got to give Melo a lot of credit for that. you got to give Melo a lot of credit. And I guess Melo also thought about you got to consider the sources, Jordan, Jordan Crawford, a guy who does not get a lot of playing time. <laughs> He's not a superstar by no stretch of the imagination. But the Knicks move on. They move on. They play the Indiana Pacers. That will be a very, very interesting series, a very good series. And I see that one going seven. I see that one going seven. It should be good basketball. And one of those teams, whoever wins that particular series, will give the Heat a tough series. I think the Knicks would give the Heat a better series than the Pacers, but I think the Pacers still could give the Knicks a fairly tough, not the Knicks, the Heat, a fairly tough series. Let's go out west now. Again, two game sixes. Grizzlies has an oppor- have an opportunity to close out the Clippers. The Thunder have an opportunity to close out the Rockets. The Grizzlies do it. They close out the Los Angeles Clippers. And I said, I tweeted this um, earlier this week after we found out that Westbrook was going to be out for the playoffs. I tweeted, you know what? The Clippers, in my mind, were the favorite now to go to the NBA Finals. They were my, in my opinion, they became the favorite to me. But you have a 2-0 series lead. I mean, you, you can't lose the series when you're up 2-0. You just can't do it. You can't do it. You're up 2-0. You have to win that series. And the Memphis Grizzlies became the 10th team in NBA history to win four straight after falling behind 2-0 in a series. That, to me, is impressive. That, to me, is very impressive. Very impressive. And the Memphis Grizzlies are a tough team, a tough bunch. And I said this before these playoffs started. If the Grizzlies could get to the NBA Finals and play the Miami Heat with the beef that they have down low with Gasol, with uh, Zach Randolph and those boys, with that beef that they have, and also the defenders that they have on the wings. Defenders that they have on the wings. And Tony Allen and Tayshaun Prince. Maybe they can slow down the likes of LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. The Memphis Grizzlies are a team, if they can get to the NBA Finals, and why couldn't they? Because we've seen the success that they have had against the Spurs over the years. We've seen what they did to the Spurs a couple years back in the first round where the Grizzlies, quite frankly, looked like the better basketball team. We've seen it with this Memphis Grizzlies team. We've seen it. This is a team. This is a team, in my mind, with the size that they have down low, the size that they have down low with Gasol and with Randolph, this is a team that can give the Miami Heat some trouble. This is a team that can give the Miami Heat some trouble. And so I look at this series, if it ever happens, as a series, that would be a very, very tough one for the Miami Heat. I really do. But the Memphis Grizzlies now, they have the Oklahoma City Thunder who eliminated 
Houston yesterday. But I look at OKC now, they're very, very dependent on Kevin Durant. They're very, very dependent on Kevin Durant. And you look at the, the okay, look at OKC, they were based off of Westbrook and Durant. They were based off of those two guys and their ability to score the basketball. Well, when you miss your second best player, the second best player on your team, it's going to be difficult to get back to the NBA Finals. And we've seen how they played over these last three games. Kevin Durant has done it all. But in order for them, I think, to get ultimately to the NBA Finals, in order for them to win the NBA Finals, Kevin Durant is going to have to do more. And they're going to need help from other places. Kevin Martin, who stepped up last night, he's going to have to step up for the uh, OKC. He's going to have to step up. And they're going to have to get points in other places. Serge Ibaka is going to have to step up his game. These guys are going to have to add more. And to me, you look at this. You look at this now. You, you can also go back to the trade where the, the, the Rockets and the Thunder decided to deal and the Thunder decided to trade James Harden to the Houston Rockets. I look at that deal. At the time, I was against it, and you look at it now, it becomes even bad in a lot of ways, even worse in some respects, because you look at it this way. If you miss, if you miss Westbrook, you have Harden. And we've seen what James Harden can do. We've seen what he has done in the article, in the uh, this season for the Rockets. We've seen the type of numbers he has put up for the Houston Rockets. We've seen it. We've seen it out of James Harden. So he could have easily, easily stepped in for Russell Westbrook and picked up the slack offensively. I think he could have easily stepped in. He really could have. He could have easily stepped in. I think he could. And I, I look at the trade now. I hated it then, and I hate it even more now. I hated it then, and I hate it even more now. James Harden could have picked up the scoring load. And the, the, the Thunder could have kept on going and possibly had a shot to go to the NBA Finals. I don't see it now. I think they're done against the Grizzlies in this next round. I, I think they're done. I think they're done. And I think also you look at it, it goes to, to, the, to the thing and the idea and the belief that when you have an opportunity to win it and you have – you can't think about the future. Sometimes the future becomes now. And I thought with the, with the Thunder – the Thunder, excuse me, the future was now. The future in OKC was now. Now meaning having keeping James Harden. I know you would have had a hard time keeping James Harden financially moving forward, but the reality is when you're this close to a title, you have to go get it. You have to go get it. You have to get it. And Oklahoma City, they felt like, you know what, we could make this move. And I, I agreed with them at the time. Yes, the, and theoretically with Westbrook and, and with Durant and with the other pieces that you have, yes, 
you could you could have gotten to the NBA Finals and given the Heat another tough series and possibly beat the Heat. I'll give you that. I agree with that. Now, on the other hand, there are some uncertainties in life. There are a lot of uncertainties in life. Nothing is truly certain in life other than you're going to pay your taxes and that you're going to die. Only two certainties in life. And some people get around paying their taxes, but at some point the government always gets them. But the reality is, the reality is this, and this is it. You never know what tomorrow may bring. You never know what tomorrow may bring. That's why I always tell you, have some, some money stashed aside, because you never know what tomorrow may bring. There's a lot of uncertainty with tomorrow. Sometimes tomorrow may very well be too late. And the reality is, with the Oklahoma City Thunder, with Russell Westbrook now going out, going down with a meniscus injury and being out for the playoffs, OKC now at this point, their chances of winning an NBA title are now going. Their chances of getting getting out of the second round, in my opinion, are now gone. James Harden, if he was still a member of the OKC Thunder, is a guy that we have seen throughout the course of this year could step in easily and replace the points that you're missing with Russell Westbrook. He could easily step in and replace the points that you missed with Russell Westbrook. 25.9 points a game for James Harden. Basically 26 points per game, close to six assists a game, close to five rebounds a game for James Harden. He could have easily replaced what you missed in Russell Westbrook. Easily. Easily. And so I look at it and I say to myself, I hated to trade then. I'm not saying it to myself. I'm saying it to you. I hated to trade then. I hate to trade now. I hated to trade then, and I hate to trade now. Durant can do a lot, but he can't do it all. He can't do it all. He can't get this team without Westbrook and vice versa. Without Westbrook or without Durant, vice versa, doesn't matter. I think they have a better shot with Durant being healthy rather than Westbrook, if it was the other way around, I would say they have absolutely positively no shot to beat the Grizzlies. But with Durant, I think Durant is the better player. I think he's the guy who can do a little more. And I, I, it's going to be interesting. I mean, they're not going to roll over, but the Grizzlies are a tough-minded team. They really are. We've seen over the years how tough-minded the Memphis Grizzlies truly are. They're a tough basketball team, and it should be interesting to see what happens moving forward with OKC. We shall see. And now, Game 7 tonight in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, stand up. Big game tonight in Brooklyn. Big game. Bulls. Nets. Winner take all. Game 7. I was hoping yesterday that in all four of those Game 6s, 
I was hoping that the Clippers will win so there would be a Game 7. I was hoping that the Hawks will win so there would be a Game 7. I was hoping that the Rockets will win so there would be a Game 7. And, of course, I was hoping the Celtics will win so there would be a Game 7. Well, not so fortunate. But we do have a Game 7 tonight. Bulls and Nets. And then Bulls, you know, you want to talk about tough. You want to talk about tough. Tough. The word tough epitomizes the Chicago Bulls. This is a tough basketball team. We've seen what they did. We've seen it, how tough this team is in game four against the Nets where Nate Robinson, I mean, is there any guy tougher and any guy with, with more heart than Nate Robinson? I mean, the guy's tough, tough-minded, has a lot of heart. And what he did in that fourth quarter in game four and then in overtime, what he did there as well was truly, truly, absolutely amazing. But you look at this Bulls team. They're banged up. Luau Dang will not play. Dealing with the flu. He's not playing. That's big. That's big. Derrick Rose is not walking through that door. Talked about not having the muscle memory. And the reality is Derrick Rose just doesn't have the confidence in that leg, in that knee. And as far as I'm concerned, a lot of people, there's a lot of people saying, you know what, Derek, you got a lot of guys fighting. You got a lot of guys fighting. Heinrich fighting. Nate Robinson throwing up on the sidelines, fighting. Todd Gibson fighting. You got a lot of guys fighting, and Derek Rose is still on the sidelines. A lot of people, a lot of people criticizing Derek Rose. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Bottom line is this. You want Derrick Rose, who is the face of your franchise, to continue to be the face of your franchise moving forward. If he doesn't have the confidence in that knee, it's no use having him. It's no use putting him out there if he doesn't have the confidence in that knee. At this point, it's clearly mental. Physically, he's been cleared by doctors. The doctors have cleared him. So at this point, it's mental. He has not overcome the mental hurdles. He has not at this point. He has not. And this could be a situation where, and I had the Nets win in this series, and this could be a situation where the Nets just finally overcome and just overwhelm the Bulls. And the Bulls, yes, as tough as they are, and it's hard to bet against these Chicago Bulls. It really is because we've seen the grittiness of this Bulls. We've seen it in game four in this series, and we've seen it against the Miami Heat when they snapped the Miami Heat's 27-game win streak. So we've seen toughness. We've seen grittiness out of this Bulls team. We've seen it. This is a gritty, tough team. So it's hard to bet against them. But you could argue your second to third best player, Lou Albang, who's not playing tonight, is out. So you're now have. I mean, Noah, many believe, is the second Best player on that team. It's no word, Dang. You choose it. It's up to you. But not having Dang, so you're missing arguably, well, you're missing your best player in Derrick Rose, and you're missing arguably your second to third best player in Luau Dang. Can you overcome that? And, oh, by the way, you're going on the road to Brooklyn, a place you, you won at. You, you won in Brooklyn this year in the regular season. You won in Brooklyn in these playoffs. But... Game sevens tend to favor 
the home team. Statistically speaking, the home team has had more success. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but statistically speaking, the home teams have had success in game seven. You have to favor the home team in game seven. But again, this Chicago Bulls team is tough, tough as nails. This is a tough, gritty basketball team in Chicago. They're tough. And I'm not going to doubt the Chicago Bulls on any level. But at some point, no matter how tough you are, you may not you may not have the horses. The reality is you just don't have the horses at this point. Dang gone. Heinrich will see how much he has. Rose obviously gone throughout the course of this regular season and not playing in these playoffs. Noah having issues with his foot. Plantar fasciitis. So all these guys struggling with injuries, at some point you're going to get overwhelmed. And I think this is the day that the Bulls finally get overwhelmed. And this is the day where this, this season ends for the Chicago Bulls. Up 3-1 in this series. You're up 3-1, more often than not, you win a series. Give the Nets a lot of credit for getting themselves back into the series. But, you know, reality is they did gave, they gave away game four. I mean, you're up 14, uh, what, less than three minutes to play, and you somehow, some way, lose that lead. And what, you are a dunk away by C.J. Watson, a dunk away from going up 16 points in that particular game, game four. So you gave a game away. You gave that game away. But I look now, I just think at this point, it's just going to to be too much for the Bulls. But it should be exciting. I will be watching. A lot of great basketball to be played this this weekend. A lot of great basketball last night. Should be a great night of basketball tonight and moving forward with some of the matchups that we're seeing in the second round. Should be very, very interesting. And how about the Golden State Warriors? Speaking of toughness, speaking of grittiness, how about the Golden State Warriors? Steph Curry has been special throughout the course of this, this series against the Nuggets. I mean, we saw game four. Game four where he was just absolutely marvelous. Had a sore ankle, and in that third quarter of that game four, he went off 22 big points. He was just moving without the ball doing it off the dribble. I mean, he was just doing it and doing it well. I mean, it was absolutely special what we saw out of Steph Curry the other night, last Sunday. And it was special what we've seen throughout the course of this series and this season with Steph Curry. I mean, you remember that game against the Knicks and how special he was in that game. He wouldn't miss. He would not miss. It was like Reggie Miller-like, where, where Miller would just go off and you knew he was not missing. He was not missing. And that's what we felt with Steph Curry last Sunday. And that's what we've seen with Steph Curry throughout the course of this season and throughout the course of these playoffs. And then you had David Lee coming on back for the Warriors the other night. I mean, a Willis Reed moment. And I, I talked about it. I, I was watching the game the other night. And when I saw 
David Lee coming to the scorer's table, and then I saw George Carl immediately call a timeout, and then I saw Mark Jackson take David Lee back out, don't, didn't put him in, and then I had, saw, you saw the game start back up, you saw David Lee at the scorer's table, and then you saw David Lee check into the game. It was a way for Mark Jackson to try to get his team an emotional lift, and George Carl, recognizing that, tried to block the emotional lift that the Bulls, not the Bulls, the Nuggets, not to not get the Warriors, excuse me, could get from David Lee. But give David Lee a lot of credit. Give the, the Warriors a lot of credit. Tough-minded team. And they're playing just like their coach, Mark Jackson, a tough guy, tough, gritty point guard, New York City point guard, a guy that's gotten it done throughout the course of his career. You knew he would be a great coach. You knew Mark Jackson would be a great coach. And he's showing it. In these playoffs, he's showing it with the Warriors. I mean, he's done a remarkable job with the Golden State Warriors this season. Got this team into the playoffs, and this team has won around. They won around in the playoffs. And Andrew Bogut, a guy who many forgot about, many forgot how good Andrew Bogut really was. He was one of the better centers in this game before all the injuries. He truly was. And he came out the other night and gave a big-time performance. A big-time performance for Golden State. A big-time performance. He was big-time in that game. Andrew Bogut, and he's had a fairly decent series for the Warriors, but he he turned back the clock on Thursday night. 14 points and 21 big rebounds. That's Andrew Bogut. And we've seen Andrew Bogut over the years. Many forget how good Andrew Bogut really was. Many forget. Many forget. You must have forgot. But he reminded us the other night. He reminded us the other night how good he was. And how, if he is, if he does continue to play this way, how much of a factor he will be moving forward. I mean, you look at Andrew Bogut over the years, you go back to 2008, 2009, this guy averaged a double-double, 11 points, 10 rebounds. 2009-2010, double-double, 15 points, 10 rebounds. 2010-2011, 11 points. You know, I mean, excuse me, 12 points and 11 rebounds. He was a double-double machine for three straight years. And then injuries happened. Injuries happened. But before that... Andrew Bogut was one of the better centers in this game, one of the better centers in basketball. He really was. But you're happy to see him back performing and on the court and playing well. You're happy to see that out of Andrew Bogut. You really are. And the Golden State Warriors, they're going to be a tough out for the San Antonio Spurs, another series that I'm looking forward to. A lot of great basketball to be played over the next few weeks. I want to switch gears now to off the court, and that is the whole Jason Collins story. Jason Collins came out this week and told the world, in his own words, I'm black, I'm 34, and I'm gay. Those are the words of Jason Collins as he came out this week. And, you know, it it caused a lot of talking about the issue of homosexuality in sports. A lot of people talking about it now. A lot of people chimed in, had their opinions. A lot of people did. Some for, some against. 
But you know what? Here's what I well, here's what I take from everything. First of all, it's 2013. It's, it's 2013. Are we surprised? Should we be surprised that there there are gay athletes? Should we be surprised that there are gay athletes in professional sports? We shouldn't be. I mean, sports mirrors societies. Statistically speaking, it's possible. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, everybody, it, it's just, you know, you, you almost get tired of hearing it at this point because the reality is this is basketball. And I, I don't care when it comes to sports. I don't care about sexuality. It's not important to me. What I care about is what you can do on the court. That's truly all that matters to me. That's all that matters to me is what happens on the court. Whether you're gay, straight, or what have you, it does not matter to me. What you can do on the court. It is 2013. This is not a discussion that we should be having. It is what it is. It's not that serious. It's just not that serious to me. This is just my personal opinion. It's just not that serious to me. It is what it is. Jason Collins is gay. Okay. Okay. Great. But I want to look at it from the the on-the-court perspective. And you look at this whole situation now, Jason Collins, 34 years old, a free agent, average to below average big man, let's be real about it. No offense to Jason Collins, but it is what it is. Average to below average big. What happens to him moving forward? And I'm interested from this standpoint. Is there a team, you know, in sports it's all about does your production meet all the other things that you have all going on for you. So you look at, for example, Chad Ochocinco. I mean, Chad Ochocinco, I think, still can play in the, in the NFL. But did you want to deal with all the stuff that came with Chad Ochocinco? No. Terrell Owens. Do you want to deal with all the stuff that comes with Terrell Owens? I think he still can play, but do you still want to deal with all the stuff that comes with him? Is his production worth the headache is what I'm saying? Is his production worth the distractions that may come with it. And I think that's the question you have to answer with Jason Collins. Is his production going to be worth the possible distractions? Fair or unfair, that's just the reality of the situation. People, the media, are going to talk about this. Wherever he lands, it's going to be a story. People are going to talk about it. That's just the reality of the situation. So I'm looking at it from an on-the-court perspective. And looking at it from an on-the-court perspective you got to wonder what will it take for a team to, to, to bring on Jason Collins. Will it be a team that, let's be honest, with Jason Collins coming out, there are a lot of endorsement deals out there for him. There really are. There are a lot of endorsement deals really out there for him. Does a team bring him on because of that, because of the attention that they may get, they may garner, because of the boost in possible attendance? Because the media will be talking about it. Do you want that? Do you want to bring attention to your team? Are you a team that, you know, is at the bottom? Are you a team that is not really exciting people? Do you bring in a Jason Collins? Reality is, after the announcement this week, it changes some things. Or you look at it the other way around. If you're a team that's a contender, and you feel like, you know what, one of your bigs that went down, you need a, to add a big guy who can help you, do you bring in a Jason Collins? Do you bring him in to your locker room and the dynamic that it may cause? And I, I, I think reality, I think the players will be okay with it. 
I think players will be fine with it. I, I really do. And I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, I think we, we're making more out of it than we should. It's really not that big of a deal. It's just not. But I, I, I look at it, this whole situation, I look at it, and I say to myself, this is 2013, it's not that big of a deal. It's just not. It's just not that big of a deal. I'm sorry. It's just not that big of a deal. But I think it's going to take a team that, A, needs a buzz, needs some attention, or, B, a team that has a strong foundation in the locker room, strong leadership in the locker room, strong coaching staff, strong management. I think that's what it's going to take to bring Jason Collins into your team. And fair or unfair, the reality of the situation is it's going to be a distraction. It is. That's just reality. I think it is going to be a distraction. But here's the bottom line with this, with this whole situation. And here's what I want to come out of it. A, I want an open dialogue about this topic. You have people for religious reasons who are against it. You have people who are for it. That's just the reality of the situation. But let's just talk about it. Let's have a dialogue about it. Let's just talk about it. Don't shut down an opinion because you don't necessarily agree with the opinion. If the opinion is not based in hate, if the opinion is said respectfully, then this is America and we should respect the opinions of all. That is the beauty of this country. That is what the founding fathers have fought for over the years. Religious freedoms and all, uh, freedom of speech and things of that nature. That's what has been fought for over the years. Don't silence an opinion because it goes against with the majority, it goes against the majority opinion. Don't silence the opinion. That's all I'm saying. This is freedom of speech. What I do here is freedom of speech. This is America. We're allowed to have our opinions. That's the beauty of this country. And, and that leads me to the whole situation with Chris Broussard. Chris Broussard came out and he gave his opinion. Chris Broussard, a, a devout Christian, gave his opinion on this issue. He gave his opinion on this issue. And People are quickly coming out and calling his, his opinion hateful, calling it bigotry, you know, calling it discriminatory, things of that nature. And if you watched what Chris Broussard watched and, and listened to what he said, it was not hateful. It, it, was, it was not malicious. It was just his opinion and his personal interpretation of Christianity. That's the way he feels. That's how he feels. He believes that it is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. That's his opinion. That's his idea. That's his belief. And he's saying he's basing it off his belief of the Bible and his belief in Christianity, his belief in Jesus. That's what he's basing it off. That's the basis of his opinion. You may not agree with his opinion. You may not agree with it. You may find his opinion to be hate. You may find his opinion to be uh Opposite of what you feel. But the beauty of his opinion is that he should be allowed to state his opinion. He should be allowed to state his opinion, whether you agree with it or not, or don't agree with it. It wasn't hateful. It wasn't disrespectful. It wasn't malicious. It was an opinion, and it was his opinion and his belief in God and his personal interpretation of Christianity. It is what it is. You may agree. You may disagree. But he is allowed to have an opinion. He is allowed to have beliefs. And it wasn't disrespectful. And it wasn't hateful. So 
Let's just have an arg- a, a, a dialogue. Let's just talk about it without name-calling, without people being called hateful or bigots. And that's where I stand on that situation. Big fight in Las Vegas tonight. Big, big fight. Everybody's looking forward to it. It's May Day, Cinco de Mayo weekend, and Floyd Mayweather is back. Robert Guerrero, Floyd Mayweather tonight, MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Let's bring in now a guy who's going to talk about this fight, boxing writer, BoxingScene.com, the one and the only, Cliff Wald. Cliff, how are you, man? Doing good, Paul. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. No, it's always my pleasure. Now, Cliff, big fight in Vegas tonight, MGM Grand, Mayweather, Guerrero. Let's start with the weighing. Sometimes we can see some things in a weigh-in. Did you see anything in a weigh-in yesterday? You know, I don't. I never know, Paul, exactly how much to read into that. But what I did see was was enough to sort of, you know, there's a there's a ceremony to weigh-ins that, that can make fights a, that can add to the fun of a fight. And I thought yesterday did. Um, I thought Guerrero smirk uh, the long, the length of the stare down. I thought all of that was really good. Um, I thought you know both guys. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, uh, it, uh, it, you know, they're gonna fight. I mean, that's the good part about it. And and they acted like two guys who were ready to fight. Um, you know, I don't think Guerrero was scared of this. I think Guerrero wanted this fight. He has pursued it for a couple of years. Um, he was asking about it when people were still laughing about the possibility. So, you know, I, I think you're going to see the best Robert Guerrero can bring tonight uh, against, you know, arguably the best fighter of his generation. Now, Cliff, Mayweather has been out of the ring for a year, spent a few months in jail. We've seen Mayweather come off long layoffs and still be successful. But how much will the jail time and the long layoff affect Mayweather tonight? Well, I mean, you never know when when a layoff could start to hurt somebody. But in Floyd's case, all of his fights have been off a long layoff uh, since he came back after after you know two since he came back in 2009. You're looking at you know anywhere from nine months to a year between all of his fights. Um, as far as the jail time, I mean, I don't expect that to affect him too much. It's not like he was in San Quentin; he was in like county in Nevada somewhere. So. You know, I'm sure it was more of a psychological issue than, you know, like he was he was not breaking bricks in, in Alabama somewhere, you know what I mean? So um <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't think that's gonna be too big of a factor at all. Now Mayweather is thirty six now and I was watching a fight against Ricky Hatton many years back and I saw how he used his legs. And then I watched the fight against Miguel Cotto and I saw that he was pretty much toe to toe with Cotto throughout the course of that whole fight. Talk about how different of a fighter Mayweather is at 36. Well, I mean, he's, 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 he's doing more to conserve his legs. Um, it's making him more offensive. Floyd's never been someone who was afraid to sit in the pocket. Um, but as he gets older, it, it, it's a little easier to sit in the pocket, and he's still got the reflexes to do it. He's got, uh, you know, as good, a, uh, as good of, a, of an anticipation game as anybody in the sport over the last 20 or 30 years. He is so good at and knowing what his opponent is going to throw before his opponent launches the punch. And if you can watch that throughout his career, he's slipping shots that haven't been thrown yet. Um, there's, a, there's a bit of genius to a lot of that. And, um, you know, he can do that in the pocket. Now, can you do it with Guerrero? It'll be interesting. If he plays the same sort of flat-footed game, Guerrero will throw typically between 70 and 100 punches around. Um, can Ford give him enough movement to bring that output down? That could tell us a lot about the fight, especially over the second half. Definitely. 
And Cliff, a lot of hardcore or a lot of hardcore boxing fans know about Robert Guerrero, but you have some of the casual boxing fans who may not know a lot about Robert Guerrero. Give us a scouting report on Guerrero. Guerrero is a good fighter. Um, he's fundamentally sound. He can be a little nasty, a little dirty on the inside. Um, but, you know, they, back in the old days, they just called that school. So, uh, well-schooled. Um, you know, he's a southpaw. Uh, he's, he's got decent height. His arms are shorter than Mayweather's. Um, he originally, you know, he came of age at featherweight um, and junior lightweight. Uh, he also has won interim belts at lightweight and now welterweight. Um, he made the leap straight from lightweight to welterweight. That's a difficult leap historically and, you know, especially coming all the way from featherweight. But he's got the height and the size. Um, and, you know, in this era, it's a little different, right? Like, he's he's come up from featherweight and he's fighting at welterweight. Floyd Mayweather started at 130. He's fighting at welterweight. Both guys are probably right now classic welterweights because they don't have to drain down two weight divisions to make welterweight and then take advantage of the 36-hour before weigh-in thing that we have now where guys can go and rehydrate and, and bulk up to 165. That still may happen. Um, but these these guys are a little more natural welterweights than probably we've been used to seeing in recent years. We're talking to BoxingScene.com writer Cliff Rold. Big Mayweather-Guerrero fight coming up tonight, Las Vegas, MGM Grand. And over the years, the perception is, Cliff, that Southpaws give Mayweather problems. How much will that have an effect on this particular fight? Well, I mean, look, with Floyd Mayweather giving him problems is, is sort of a, you know, it, it's a, it's all in the, it's all sort of in context. It's relative to his career. The, there have been two or three times where he got, you know, got a little, got a little rocked up by Southpaws. You know, Demarcus Corley rocked him twice in the third and fourth rounds of their fight. Um, Zach Judah scored what probably should have been ruled a knockdown in their fight. Um, so there's that. I mean, Victor Ortiz, uh, I believe Victor Ortiz comes from the Southpaw camp. He caught Floyd with a decent shot. Um, but, I mean, you know, as as Floyd and his camp have pointed out, he's had so much trouble with Southpaw that he beat all of those two. So, um, you know, I, I think that Guerrero, Guerrero's best shot is probably to, to get Floyd into a trench war along the road. Once you're along the road, I'm not sure being a Southpaw really matters. Um, because you're both going to be squared up. That's also going to leave Guerrero open to a lot of counters. We'll see what happens. And I, I was reading your article, article this morning, Religion in May 4th, talking about Robert Guerrero. And to be honest with you, the notion of religion is having me a little scared to pick Mayweather in this particular fight. I, I call it the Ray Lewis effect. What are your thoughts on that? Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody's religious beliefs, so... Um, but I, I, you know, I, I, I don't put too much stock in that sort of thing in sports, except for its impact on the mentality of the individual. So I think people can draw strength from their faith to actually embolden themselves and, and push themselves and, and, you know, push themselves sort of beyond maybe what their natural ability might be. I think that's happened. I think we've seen instances of that in history from people through all sorts of walks of faith. Um, but do I think, you know, that, that there's any sort of extra element to it, you know, not really. I I don't I don't think God necessarily picks sides, and if he does, he's not going to do it in a price fight. He picks something a little grander than that. <laughs> and we'll see what happens with this fight. We're talking to BoxingScene.com writer. Or she. Yeah, I, I don't mean to I don't mean to, to genderize God. It could be a she. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's a he, but it, it, it is what it is. Fair We're talking enough. to BoxingScene.com writer Cliff Rold as we talk about the big fight tonight, Guerrero Mayweather. Big fight, big-time fight. And now, Cliff, if Mayweather does get by Guerrero tonight, in your opinion, 
Should Mayweather go up to 154 and fight a natural 154-pounder in Canelo Alvarez? Maybe. I mean, I'd be happy, I'd be happy to see it. If he chose not to, it wouldn't really bother me at this point. Uh, you know, there there are plenty of good welterweights right now that he could fight. Um, the 140-pound division is stacked. If he wanted to wait for guys to come up from that division, um, you know, at 36 years old, you know, we already missed the window for what should have been the Floyd Mayweather super fight. And, you know, the argument about whose fault that was, we can have another time. But the fact is the, the window was missed for the fight of, the, of Mayweather's, you know, era. Um, he missed that. And, you know, Canelo Alvarez is a fighter of another generation. I would be thrilled if Floyd Mayweather fought him. If he doesn't, I, don't, I wouldn't lose a ton of sleep over it. But that, that would be the fight I would be most excited to see at this point, it, for the sheer spectacle of it. Definitely, definitely. And another fight that is intriguing is happening in June. Paulie Malinaji and Adrian Broner. Talk about that fight. You know, it's sort of a gimmicky fight. Um, Broner, Broner at lightweight, you know, he's obviously a very talented fighter. But he's been fighting in two weight divisions that are, and I mean in a historical sense, if you look at the history of junior lightweight and lightweight, Broner fighting in a period where 130, 135 pounds are historically bad. Like, these aren't good areas to be in. He's clearly a very good fighter. These are clearly not good areas there. So the station to jump to junior welterweight and welterweight is going to be really strong. Well, at welterweight, he can go up and get a belt against a fighter who really isn't, isn't what you would consider one of the top two or three welterweights. So it's sort of a gimmick in right. that sense. But then just fighting Ali Malinaji. Malinaji is a world-class fighter, so you know if they want to scrap it out, I, I'm fine with that, and, and then we can see where Broner goes from there. Uh, it says a lot that Pauli Mal and, and Pauli Malinaj is a good fighter. I don't mean this in a bad way, but it says a lot. He's by far the best fighter that Adrian Broner has ever fought. Now, is it somewhat of a? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, and, and people can take from that what they will. You know, because I mean, Pauli's a good fighter, but I wouldn't say Pauli's a particularly great fighter. And now, looking at it, is it almost similar to Roy Jones going up to face Ruiz? No, not at all. No, Pauli Malinacci is uh, Those are two completely different challenges. John Ruiz presented a size and strength challenge to Roy Jones. Pauli Malinacci is a highly skilled, you know, technical fighter, but he doesn't carry a big punch in any weight division. Um, I, I see these a little different. And Adrian Broner, you know, again, he's a guy who, because of the day before weigh-in, is able to squeeze down to weight divisions he might not otherwise be in in an era when he had to weigh in the day of the fight. So really, him and Pauly, it's a, it's, a, it's a perception that he's moving up in weight. Him and Pauly are really roughly the same size. Pauly's taller than you. But Adrian Brown is a big guy. He comes in the ring around 150 pounds. Yeah, he's, he's thick. He's very thick. Yeah. So it should, should be so, interesting to see that. Good, I think it'll be a good fight. I think Broner is... You know, Broner is, is, a, is a unique guy who is going to be in a position to make a lot of money. He's building a fan base. You know, he, he's an exciting guy. Paulie is just one step in, in the direction of what they're trying to cultivate right now with him. And now let's go back to this fight tonight. Who do you see winning this fight? Let's get a prediction. Mayweather Guerrero, who wins tonight? Mayweather. Uh, Got to go with Mayweather until he loses, until I see somebody beat him. Um, you know, Robert Guerrero is, is – in my mind, is the most improved fighter over the last six or seven years of anybody in boxing. If you had seen Robert Guerrero when he was coming up the ranks, the idea that he would have moved all the way to welterweight and be in a position where he's a viable opponent for a Floyd Mayweather, you know, that's a huge leap from where he was when he was losing to Gamaliel Diaz and Orlando Salido. That said, no matter how much he's improved, I have a hard time thinking that anyone 
shakeups are always fun, definitely. Cliff, talk about some of the great things that's going on at BoxingScene.com. Well, I mean, you know, tragic news yesterday. Uh, one of our writers was unfortunately uh, passed away yesterday in Venezuela. Uh, so, you know, readers are out there. They can read up on that on our newsline and, and send their send their condolences to the family. Uh, his name was Johnny Gonzalez. He was a, a correspondent for us down in Venezuela. That was, uh, that was a big piece of sad news this week. Um, other than that, you know, today is, is all Mayweather coverage all day. Um, you know, fans out there who are interested, you know, Pay attention tonight, CBS Sports Line, the cable channel. They'll even be having the post fight press conference. I mean, this is unparalleled coverage. You know, you're getting Definitely. all day. It's going to be a lot of fun. So you can ride this out like a like a college football Saturday from dusk till dawn. It is May Day, and it's a, it's a great day to be a fan of the sport of boxing. Cliff, Absolutely. as always, man, a pleasure talking to you. Wish you nothing but Thank the best of luck, and always, let's do it again. Absolutely. Look forward to it, buddy. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Cliff Rold, writer, BoxingScene.com. And to his point, it is hard to go against Floyd Mayweather. It, it just is hard. It really is. I mean, until it's hard to predict something that has not happened before. It's just that simple. 42 have tried and 42 have failed, as he likes to say. It's hard to, in a lot of ways, think anything else different would happen. It it really is. It's hard to think that anything different would happen in this particular fight. I mean, say what you will about Coach Guerrero. You know, he he's a tough fighter. He is a southpaw. He's a guy that likes to get gritty and grimy. But, you know, he did get tagged a little bit by Andre Berto. He did get tagged a little bit by uh, Aiden in his other fight at welterweight. So this is a guy that can be hit, obviously. This is a guy that definitely can get hit. And this is a fight that's going to be very, very exciting. It's always good when Floyd Mayweather is boxing. It's always good when when it's May Day. It's always good to watch Floyd Mayweather. It's always exciting. And it's going to be exciting tonight. Floyd Mayweather now has an opportunity to continue his legacy, an opportunity, you know, he has a six-fight deal, 30 months with Showtime, he wants to continue to try to make all that money, in excess of about $300 million possibly. He wants to be able to make all that money. In order for him to make that money, he's got to win fights. His dad is back in the corner with him. I don't know how much that's going to be a factor because you always got the sense that Floyd kind of was his own trainer in a lot of ways because of his knowledge and his genius. I mean, he's a boxing genius, and when he gets into the ring, he makes adjustments like no other. He makes adjustments like no other. He's the adjustment king. And so it should be very, very interesting to watch this fight tonight. I'm interested to see Floyd Mayweather in this fight. I'm interested to see if those 36-year-old legs can hold up. If those, if he's, will he get old tonight? Will he get old tonight? Like a Bernard Hopkins, he doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't put any type of toxins in his body. So that's one of the ways you can stick around for a long period of time. He he stays close close to his fighting weight, which is good. Doesn't doesn't yo yo up in weight. That is another good thing. Those are the type of things that can take years off your boxing career. Drinking, the smoking, you know, the yo yoing and weights. That could take years off your boxing career. And Floyd Mayweather has avoided those things. 
He he has avoided those things. Had to, of course he had the issue the legal issues and spent some time in prison. But you hope that you know he'll continue to be the dominant Mayweather. I'm hope I'm I'm rooting for Mayweather tonight. I disagree with Cliff a little bit. I do think God does care about who wins fights. I, I do believe that. I do believe that God does care who wins. I think God cares about everything. I think God is in everything. I believe that. This is my opinion. But I do think God cares who wins the fight tonight. I do. But that's another story for another time. Second hour of Go For It starts right now. Underway in this hour, we're going to be joined by the former fiance of Jason Collins, Karen Lamuse, and we're going to get her thoughts on the situation, her relationship with Jason Collins. They spent eight years together. They were engaged to be married, and Collins eventually broke it off in 2009. And we're going to, and she didn't know that he was gay. Did not know until he told her last weekend. So she found out pretty close to the time that we found out that Jason Collins was gay. So it's going to be very interesting to talk to her about it, get her thoughts on everything in that whole situation. Very interesting story, you know. Interested to see and get Carolyn's take on it. Also, we're going to be joined by Pro Pole offensive tackle, Jermon Bushrod. Jermon's had a great event coming up in Virginia on June 14th, Visualize and Rise Golf Tournament, and also his uh, football camp as well. So he's got a lot of great things for Jermon coming up. In the next month or so, signed a new deal, five years, $35 million, $17 million in guarantees. So life is truly, truly good for Jermon Bushrod. Life is good for Jermon Bushrod. It's not a bad time to be Jermon Bushrod. It's just not. It's actually a good time to be Jermon Bushrod. And in some respect, I wish I was. Nah, I like being me. Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow. The Tebow mania circus has finally ended in the, in New York. After drafting Geno Smith, they decided to let Tim Tebow go. No, not really a surprise here. Surprise here, you know, it was expected. But you look at the whole situation with Tim Tebow, the question becomes, does Tebow get another chance? A lot of people are speculating that Tebow may never get another chance, at least not at quarterback. There was te- There were teams interested in Tim Tebow, but those teams wanted to switch his position. They are under the belief that Tim Tebow can't play quarterback effectively in the National Football League. There's there's a lot of people who doubt Tim Tebow at this point and at this time. And I, I think Tim Tebow, you know, the, the issue that comes with Tim Tebow, even if you brought him in as a backup, the circus comes with Tim Tebow. The circus comes to town. And it's not his fault. It's just people are drawn to him. People are drawn to him. For for for. Many reasons, mainly because I believe his religion, his religious beliefs, and his strong faith. People are drawn to him, and he wears his faith on his sleeves. People are drawn to him because of it. And, and it's not because of him. It's because what comes with him. So it's very difficult to bring Tebow in as a backup. And so it's going to be difficult for him to get a job. It really is going to be difficult for Tim Tebow to get a job. 
I mean, I would like to see him get another opportunity. And it's, I, I said this before, and I'll say it again. Tim Tebow, this is a guy who did win a playoff game, has as many playoff victories as Tony Romo, as many playoff victories as Tony Romo. And we're talking about the Tony Romo that has $50 million, $55 million in guarantees to sign a $100 million deal. Tim Tebow had the same amount of playoff victories as Tony Romo. Now, we, we've seen the bad side of Tebow. We've seen some bad performances. We've seen some bad performances. We have. Bad passing performances. There's no getting around that. We have seen it out of Tim Tebow. That's just reality of the situation. But Tim Tebow, if you're going to bring him in, I think you almost have to bring him in with an opportunity to start. Because if you don't, it's going to be a problem. Fair or unfair was a problem in Denver against Kyle Orton, against, with the whole situation with Kyle Orton. Fair or unfair was a problem in New York with the whole situation with Sanchez and everything. And the thing is, if you're not stable at the quarterback position, where which none of those teams were, Denver was not stable at the quarterback position with Kyle Orton, and the Jets were not stable at the quarterback position with Mark Sanchez. If you're not stable in those positions, it's going to be very difficult to bring a Tim Tebow in. It just is going to be very difficult. And so he becomes a distraction wherever he goes. And it's not his fault. But it is what it is. It, it, it is what it is when it comes to Tim Tebow. Again, it's not his fault, but that's what comes when you bring a guy like Tim Tebow into the fold. That's the, the, that's the type of things that you have to deal with when you bring a guy like Tim Tebow into the fold. It's not fair, but it's reality. I would love to see Tim Tebow get another chance, as I said before. I would love for Tim Tebow to get another chance. I would. But the odds are truly, truly against it at this point. You're almost at the point where you would be shocked if he does get another shot. You're almost, you'll be shocked if he does get another shot. And you figured, okay, at one point Jacksonville may have been a home for Tebow because, you know, Jacksonville is a team that's looking for a buzz. You would think Jacksonville would be a home for Tebow. But it turns out it wasn't. It's, it's not going to be. They seem to have a belief in Blaine Gabbard. The GM has stated that there is no interest in Tim Tebow. So Jacksonville seems like it's out the window. And that was really the only place that a lot of people pointed to. Where can you point to now in the National Football League in terms of where Tebow could go? I mean, the Jets seemingly was a good place for Tebow to go because of the uncertainty. They had a quarterback with Mark Sanchez. A lot of uncertainty there. But just looking around the league, Washington, no. New York, no. Dallas, no. Philadelphia, no. Green Bay, no. Minnesota, no, not really. I mean, Christian Ponder is there, led his team to the playoffs. I don't really see a place there for Tebow. Chicago, no. They have Cutler. Detroit, no. They have Matt Stafford. Atlanta, no. They have Matt Ryan. Carolina, no. Newton. New Orleans has Breeze. Tampa Bay has Freeman. San Francisco has Kaepernick. Seattle has Russell Wilson. St. Louis has Sam Bradford, Arizona. That could be a place, but they do have Carson Palmer. How much of an upgrade that is? I guess it is an upgrade over Kevin Cobb and John Skelton. But they have uh, Carson Palmer, New England. Of course, Tom Brady, Miami, Ryan Tannehill. The Jets, a team that, again, was in play, but they have Geno Smith, Mark Sanchez, David Garrard there. Buffalo, they drafted E.J. Manuel. Have Kevin Cobb there, so Buffalo is really not a destination. But Baltimore, Joe Flacco, 
Cincinnati. Um, they're okay with um, Andy Dalton. So they're okay in San Francisco. Pittsburgh, obviously. They're okay in Cincinnati. I should say Pittsburgh, obviously, okay with Big Ben. Cleveland, maybe you can make an argument with Cleveland. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. They don't really have, you know, a solid situation at quarterback. Houston, Matt Schaub, Indy. You have Andrew Luck, Tennessee, Jake Locker. I don't know how great that is, but they have Jake Locker. Jacksonville, Blaine Gabbard, Denver, Peyton Manning, San Diego, Phil Rivers. Oakland, some uncertainty there with Oakland. Truly some uncertainty there with Oakland. But they have a quarterback as well. Um, in Kansas City, they have Alex Smith. So, a lot of uncertainty. A lot of uncertainty for Tim Tebow in his career. This we have, may have seen the last of Tim Tebow. And I would love to see him get another opportunity again. I've always been a guy who doesn't believe and didn't believe in Tim Tebow as a quarterback. It is kind of hard to argue, though, with what he has accomplished in terms of what he did in terms of winning a playoff game, in terms of leading his team to the playoffs in terms of, you know, shredding the Pittsburgh Steelers with 316 yards in that particular game. I, I just thought, you know, with the Jets situation, I know a lot of teammates came out and said, you know what, he is just not good. He's not that good. But I, I, I just thought, you know, he deserved an opportunity with the Jets because we saw how bad the Jets were at the quarterback position. We've seen how bad Mark Sanchez was last season, the past two seasons for that matter, and how much of a turnover machine he has been over these past two seasons. We've seen it. So for us, that uh, to me, that was the perfect chance for him to get a shot with the New York Jets. That was his chance. And for whatever reason, obviously because they believe he couldn't play, for whatever, for what, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, the New York Jets would not put him in. They just would not put him in. And I just thought it was a bad idea. Either you're going to use him, if you're going to bring him in, you better use him. If you're not going to use him, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Do not waste your time. And that, in essence, is what, in my opinion, the New York Jets did last season. Tebow had an opportunity to choose where he wanted to go. He chose the Jets. He chose he chose the Jets. And, you know, on the surface at this point obviously was a bad decision. It was it was obviously a bad decision. It really was. But the reality is that what's done is done and Tim Tebow may not get another shot in the National Football League. Some people said he can go to Canada, but Warren Moon said, you know what, I don't think he can make it in Canada because I don't think he can throw the ball well enough to be in Canada. He, he does not believe that Tebow throws the ball well enough to play in Canada. Moon, Warren Moon says he can't play in the CFL. We know Warren Moon and what he did in the CFL. We know what he did. And here are Warren Moon's quotes 
you have to be able to throw the ball up there talking about Canada. If anything, they throw the ball a lot. It's only three downs, so passing game is much more important up there. And there's a lot more field to cover. If you can't throw the football, it doesn't matter where you play quarterback. You have to be able to throw it. That's his biggest problem. You being able to complete passes, be an accurate passer. I think he's a really good athlete playing the position, but I don't think that's enough sometimes. Those are the words of CFL legend, Hall of Fame quarterback, Warren Moon. Warren Moon knows Canada fo- Canadian football. And so if Warren Moon says it, if Warren Moon says it, you almost have to believe it. You almost have to believe it. You really do. And Warren Moon went on to say, in talking about the difference between him and, and, and Tebow and other players who played up in Canada, like a, a Jeff Garcia or Doug Flutie, he said, we were very good passers. We didn't have to go up there to change our throw motion. We didn't have to go up there and try and become more accurate. We just needed to get the opportunity. Doug's was because of his height. Mine was because of my color. So we went up there and proved ourselves. We went up there and proved ourselves. And they went up there and proved themselves. Those guys can throw the football. They were small. They could throw the football. Tim Tebow's issue is he's having a hard time throwing the football. He has a hard time throwing the football. Just does. Doug Flutie didn't have that problem. Doug Flutie was height challenged. Jeff Garcia, same deal. And Warren Moon at the time was because of his color. Tim Tebow now, he may, he may never get another opportunity, at least not in the NFL, to play the quarterback position. He could play another position, um, tight end, fullback. But in terms of the quarterback position, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if Tim Tebow gets another opportunity in the NFL, especially as a quarterback. He may have to be a fullback. He may have to be a tight end. He may have to be a tight end. And that is just the reality of the situation for Tim Tebow at this stage of his career. Again, I hope he gets another shot. I wish him all the best. But I I was never a guy who believed in Tim Tebow as a quarterback. I just was not that guy. I wasn't that guy who believed in him as a quarterback. It's just my opinion. But there are people who do believe in him. But will those people step up and give him an opportunity? Somebody believes in him, I believe. But I don't really think there's a market for him just like that. It's just not a market for him. You may have people who do believe that he can play, but do you want what comes with him? Play a little bit, I should say, because let's be honest, if he could play, more often than not he would have an opportunity, he would have a job. That's if he could play. But we'll see what happens with Tim Tebow in this whole Tebow situation. Again, Tim Tebow released by the Jets. And again, 
Tim Tebow, will he get another opportunity to play quarterback in the National Football League? That will be very, very interesting. But we'll see. And speaking of Jets quarterbacks, Geno Smith. Scouting report came out on Geno Smith. And the scouting report is this. Some have said that he is a spoiled, pampered brat. And this is an NFC scout, an anonymous NFC scout, who believes that Geno Smith is a spoiled, pampered brat. And after what we saw in New York City, the tweets and, and things of that nature, I mean, is it true? I don't know. I don't know. I hope not. I hope he has a long and good career. I really do. I really do. The NFL scout said Geno Smith is going to have a tough time in New York. And, you know, he's a spoiled pamper brat. So, we'll see if Geno Smith is a spoiled pamper brat. And we'll see if you'll have a tough time in the NFL. And there was people were saying throughout the whole draft process, leading up to the draft and all the pre-draft stuff, that he was on his cell phone, seemed to be preoccupied with his cell phone, checking Twitter during meetings with team officials, and that was reported by Yahoo Sports, things of that nature. It's not good. That's not good. That's not good at all. It's just not good. We don't know how true these things are. These are just reports. These are just speculative. No one's put a name on it. It is anonymous. No one has put a name on it. But we'll see if Geno Smith can can get past the label of spoiled pamper brat. We'll see if all the criticism about him is true. We'll see. And if he did the things such as texting and and checking Twitter feeds and, you know, during, if he did those type of things during, um, if he did those type of things during meetings, during meetings with uh, NFL uh, personnel, then, you know, that is immature. That is not good. It's just not good. That is immaturity, and that's just not good. It's just not. It's not good for him to be texting and, and for him to be on his phone tweeting while he's in essentially job interviews with NFL teams. That's like me going to a job interview and, you know, whipping my phone out, taking a phone call during an interview, whipping my phone out, texting during an interview, whipping my phone out, tweeting during an interview. It's just not professional. It's just not professional. It's not acceptable by any stretch of the imagination on any level. It's just not. It's just not acceptable. Just not acceptable. And Geno Smith, what he did, in terms of those things, it's truly, truly unacceptable. Hopefully, if he did those things, he'll learn from them. And hopefully, 
if he did those things. He won't do it again. Hopefully. 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 But we'll see what happens with Geno Smith and the Jets. I mean, I'm an Eagles fan. I wanted the Eagles in the second round to take Geno Smith. I was okay with that. I was okay with that. Athletic guy. Had a great pro day, seemingly. Had a great combine. So you wanted I wanted Geno Smith in the second round. I was okay with that. But it didn't happen. And the Jets is a good spot for the Jets. Good pick for the Jets. Especially in the second round. Great value. Great pick in the second round. Great pick in the second round. Great pick. And we'll see if Geno Smith can be successful. We'll see. We shall see. Geno Smith. What will he be? What will Geno Smith be? What will he be? What will he be? What will Geno Smith be moving forward? What will he be? How successful will he be? How successful will he be on this level, the NFL level? It's for real now. It's for real right now. But let's be fair. Let's give him an opportunity, and let's judge him on what he does on the field. Let's give him an opportunity. Let's not judge him at this point. Let's give him an opportunity to prove the doubters wrong. Let's give him an opportunity to prove the doubters wrong. Can he prove the doubters wrong? Will he prove the doubters wrong? Let's give him an opportunity to do it. Let's give him an opportunity to prove the doubters wrong, the naysayers. He's got an opportunity. He's got an opportunity now to prove everybody wrong. To prove everybody wrong. And all you can do and the only way you can prove everybody wrong is by performing on the on the field. That's how you prove people wrong. That's how you shut people up. That's all. Adrian Peterson now came out and said, you know what? My goal is 2,500 yards. My goal is 2,500 yards. I got my bar set at 2,500. He wants to shatter the record, he says. He wants to shatter the record. We'll see if he can. We're going to switch gears now. And on the line um, is the former fiancé of Jason Collins, Carolyn Moose. Carolyn, how are you? 
Um, I'm doing fairly well. I do apologize. Uh, it's been a, a whirlwind of emotions this week and, and uh, a lot of extending of my self and, and my emotions. So, um, you know, but I do want to open up because I think that by opening up, we can help other people that um, might experience a similar situation. And, you know, there's a ton of layers to, to this occurring. Um, obviously, myself having invested eight years um, right. in the relationship, and uh, that's extremely difficult. Um, but I also feel that on the flip side of that, we have societal issues that were so um, intense and kind of challenging and intimidating that wouldn't allow someone to be their true selves. And that's like that's something that I think will help society for us to take a look at. And then on top of that, we're now dealing <clears throat> with the context of professional sports. And I, I play pro sports myself, I've had that reverse stereotype actually put on me for being I'm a very feminine woman and I like to wear dresses after the games and, you know, come across right. as being, quote-unquote, maybe not your stereotypical, um, you know, elite athlete. But I think at the end of the day, you know, your beauty as a woman doesn't challenge your ability on the court. And on the flip side for a male, you're coming out as having a certain orientation doesn't challenge your ability on the court. So, there, there's so many layers to to what's transpiring here, and um, you know, it's just it's hard to process it all, quite frankly, and it's going to take time uh, naturally. Right. But um, there's a lot to talk about. Definitely, and let's get right down to it. I mean, your fiance of eight years, Jason Collins, he told the world that he is gay, and he told you a few days before he told everyone else, told the world, I should say. What was your initial thoughts when you when he finally told you? You heard that. Um, you know, the first thing, to be honest with you, was not necessarily, you know, believing it at first. And then I'm a very unselfish person, and the first words that came out of my mouth is, wow, I can't imagine going 33 years of my life not, you know, being myself, and a huge weight must be lifted off your shoulders right now. Um, you know, just really extending myself to him. And it honestly, that was Monday morning, um, and it wasn't until Monday evening that I took some time to actually kind of dig up my inner emotions, which was, gosh, I spent eight years, you know, investing right. myself. Um, so there's, it was a lot of kind of tugging my emotions back and forth. And, you know, I've had the ability to express both sides of the equation, I think, in a fairly healthy way. But, it, um, you know, I still have moments where it's really challenging, too, Um Definitely. But in all of this, our mission hopefully can be good, you know, and hopefully we can actually get out there and change society and and I can help save, you know, women from going through something similar because I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. And, um, you know, and, and then on Jason's side, to be able to be powerful and, and come forward and, and really change the pro sports arena because I think that's so necessary. Um, I don't judge anybody. You know, I don't judge anybody by their orientation. You know, I'm straight. I still want to be married. I still want to have kids. And, you know, I have had teammates uh, in the WNBA, you know, who have different preferences. And I never judge them. And they respect me for who I am. And I respect them for who they are. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, again, there's a lot of things that to dissect from this experience. I, I can imagine. And when he broke the engagement off back in 2009, what reason did he give? Um, you know, quite frankly, I'm a. I definitely took a hard look at that, and you know, that's also difficult for me because, 
I was really trying to dissect. You know, I'd ask of him, can you can you create a list? You know, I'm a very visual person, and I like to write things down and take a hard look at, you know, what's going on here. And um, so I asked, you know, I asked that of him, and I think, you know, there was a line in there that, you know, something to the effect of, at the right time, I want to share with you what it is, but here, here's, here are my thoughts, you know. And we had a list, mm-hmm. like I had a list of things I was going over, but it – like to me, when you work through things as you know, long-term couple, you're going to have a list. Like <laughs> that list is ongoing, and you work through things together as a team, you know. And so I was just in my mind thinking, okay, is this something that eventually we could come back to and revisit and work through? And those emotions actually, again, were dug up this week, and I realized that subconsciously I was really judging that list for a very long time. I mean, really, mm-hmm. you know, like 2009 to 2000 present, 2013, um, trying to be a better person, you know, just trying to be like, okay, well, you know, we could do this better or that. But um, obviously now knowing what I know, there are deeper layers to what contributed to the outcome of 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's difficult to have to have that mm-hmm. amount of time where I'm questioning myself almost, but then not understanding why I should question myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, Definitely. Uh, I, I look at it now, and, you know, obviously you said in previous interviews that you did not know. You had no idea that this was the case. But you, you've had a few days to kind of think about this whole thing. Was Was there any indication at all within the relationship or during the eight years that he was possibly gay? Any type of indication that you may have overlooked? No. Yeah, okay. none what's Yeah, it's, it's tough because now – you know, some of his former teammates are surprised. And I think more importantly, your family, you know, your mother, your father, brother, um, those people around you that care most about you and are really in your life on a consistent basis, um, they're the ones that you let in. They're the ones that show acceptance and approval. And I think that that's where really, you know, a lot of things um, could transpire from. And I, you know, not showing signs to the people that you let into your inner circle as a mm-hmm. real protective mechanism, you know, to be able to do that um, means that you're, you know, obviously very concerned about being accepted. And I think that that's the bigger issue here is uh, what societal pressures would allow someone to mislead themselves and, and also other people for that long. We're talking to former WNBA star Carolyn Muse and former fiance of Jason Collins. And I know you said in other interviews that Jason Collins has not apologized to you. Would you like an apology at some point? I mean, eight years is a long time. Yes, um, but that has to come in his own way. Um, okay. When he understands it. Um, but, yes, and, I, you know, thankfully I have – Friends and I literally every day I'm receiving. I have 350 plus emails about stories, you know, similar stories, wow. and, and when, yeah, that are just reaching out to me, and, and that means a lot because that's a form of an apology because I'm reading other people's apologies, <laughs> which right. kind of, you know, gets me through because I realize that the processing and, and those types of things hopefully will happen um, at the right time, but it, it, it's. It is frustrating to, you know, not have resolution while I'm sitting here with, you know, emotion and whatnot. But um, also, 
you know, understanding the process and, and kind of what what the last week has been. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to uh, try to make sense of. And during this whole relationship, eight years, did you believe or do you believe at this point that he may have cheated on you with another man during your relationship? Um, you know, I think there are things that obviously will remain between Jason and I, and um, but okay. I do trust him. You know, as far as a person, I trust him to share the truth, you know, and right. you know, as far as, you know, direct question, I, you know, and I feel that if I am able to have that opportunity to be with him, you know, and, and just openly um, discuss things with each other, that, that he will, you know, be very honest. He's a very direct person when he's Ask a direct question. Okay, and, and eight years, like we said before, you've been you were in a relationship with him for eight years, and then we, as we all know, that's a long time. And I know you deeply care for Jason Collins, as you stated here. But do you have any level of resentment towards him? Any? I have resentment for investing eight years in a dream and a relationship that didn't transpire into everything that I thought it would be. I have resentment for being lied to or misled, but that hate isn't directed maybe only as a person. It's also directed at society. It's directed at, you know, contributing influences. I've never played that role, and okay. I never will have to play that role of, of coming to the world saying, well, this is who I am because I'm straight. So I don't know what that journey looks like. I don't know what it feels like. I don't. But at the same time, I personally could never mislead somebody. That's not mm-hmm. something I could ever do. Um, but so it's it's hard because the person that I came to love is all I remember, to be honest with you. But then I see the right. side of it, and it's like I could never do that to somebody. But right. it's a lot to comprehend. You know, it's a lot to uh, Yeah, obviously. Definitely. Uh, definitely. Have you dated since 2009? You know, I have. I mean, I openly, you know, I had some wonderful relationships that, you know, were very serious and, you know, possibly could lead to something great. But, you know, I'll be honest, the back of my mind, I still had somewhere in there, oh, eventually Jason will come back to me. Like, I, I don't know, okay. I just still was holding on to that dream, so... You know, to some extent, I suppressed that because I didn't realize it was still in me to to be holding on to that, and it kind of came out this past week. Like I was like, "Wow, I really was kind of subconsciously holding out to see if that would ever come to be again." But um, you know, with that said, I think that that's good that I can work through that now and just say that that's exactly what was going on. You know, right. um, and it's. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit surreal to have to say that, but <laughs> it's good that I can discover, you know, some of those things that I had that I was still holding on to. Definitely. We're talking to to the former fiancé and former WNBA star, uh, Carolyn Moose. This is the former fiancé of Jason Collins. And, Carolyn, you got a lot of things going on, but you're doing some things uh, with your organization, Fit for Life. Tell us a bit, a bit about that organization and some of the things that you're doing. Um, yeah, I absolutely am very passionate about nutrition and fitness and health and wellness. 
And so I, I do a variety of things. I work with student athletes, elite athletes, and pro athletes for nutrition log analysis. But I also work with obese patients, type 2 diabetics, at-risk populations, hypertension. You know, I've taken off uh, individuals off insulin. So for me, um, the lifestyle piece is everything. You know, if you don't have yourself and your health, you don't have longevity and wellness. So um, what I do is through my website, I work with clients all around the world via phone, email, Skype, and provide nutrition log analysis as well as cross-training. And they can reach me by my website, which is carolamoose.com. And uh, from there, they can actually download a lot of uh, useful content and materials as well. So I'm really enjoying it. Um, I also work with the TMBA, and we develop student-athletes as well as at-risk children and uh, children with disabilities uh, through basketball, uh, doing some phenomenal things with them as well. Okay. And that's a great thing that you're doing. And I've heard and read somewhere that you are, at this point, you want to have kids and you are freezing some eggs for the possibility of having kids if you do not find an individual to have kids with. Is that true? Um, You know, for me, that's something before all this transpired, I had planned as a plan B. I personally want plan A, which is, you know, to find my husband and to have kids naturally, right. which Thankfully, I still have time to do both. Um, so they, I Definitely. kind of plan everything in my life. I, you know, I went to Stanford. I'm very intelligent, and I never want to regret anything that I don't do in life. So for me, it's just a backup plan, and it, I'm, you know, very fortunate that I'm healthy and I can do all those amazing, wonderful things. So um, <clears throat> hopefully both transpire, you know, and I'm I'm able Definitely. to do both. And I'm pretty sure um, that's what, you know, that's probably what will happen. <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn, Pleasure having you on the show. I mean, you have a great story here. I wish you nothing but the best moving forward, and I'd love to have you back on in the future. Good luck to you. Great. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Carolyn Moos, the former fiancé of Jason Collins. Interesting story, very interesting story, and she's having a hard time. Well, she's processing the whole thing at this point. Very, very interesting story. You listen to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio. on the hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! And we're back. And we're back. Great interview there with Carolyn Muse. And again, we wish her nothing but the best moving forward. But we're going to switch gears now to the NFL. we got a guy right now who's got a big tournament, big golf tournament coming up June 14th in Virginia. This guy, he's a pro bowler. And this guy just got paid, just got paid with the Chicago Bears, signed with the Chicago Bears in the offseason. Let's bring him in now, Pro Bowl offensive tackle, Jermon Bushrod. Jermon, how are you, man? I'm doing good, man. How are y'all? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. And Hello. we look at you now. You signed in the offseason with the Bears, five years, 
35 million, 17 million in guarantees. You guys had a mini camp the other week. Were you excited about what you saw on the field? Absolutely, man. Uh, I'm very pleased about the direction that this team is going in. Uh, I'm, I'm very blessed and, and grateful for the opportunity I have to further my career. And, uh, you know, unfortunately we had to, you know, part ways with New Orleans, and, and that was a great place, uh, you know, on and off the football field. But, you know, uh, <clears throat> this organization in Chicago gave me another opportunity to um, continue my passion and, and, you know, see how long I can, you know, keep this thing rolling. Other than the money, because the money is good, five years, $35 million, 17 in guarantees, why else did you sign with the Chicago Bears? It was just – it was more of a comfort thing, you know. We we, we had uh, – you know, I felt like the situation was good for me, you know, for, for, my, for me and my family going forward. Um, with the addition of Cromer coming up here, you know, it wouldn't be too much change in the offense. So, you know, not that it made the decision easier because it was a very tough decision even after I signed it. But, you know, as time went on, you know, the decision just felt more and more right. So, you know, it's just about opening a new chapter, new chapter in your life and, and, and trying to, you know, continue to write the story in this, in this book that hasn't closed yet. And the Bears in the offseason, of course, they signed you. They also grabbed Martellus Bennett in the offseason. This is a 10-win team, just barely missed the playoffs. This is a team that's had issues on the offensive line. Do you feel like you're the missing piece? I just want to come in and contribute, man, to the best of my ability. And I want to work hard. And I want to, you know, try to get everyone on the same page with this offense that we have rolling. Um, and, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be uh, – it's, it's, it's not going to be easy, you know, kind of get, just getting back to that. You know, we just got to continue just to believe in the system believe in, 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 in our coach's vision and, you know, do do what we have to do individually. So as an offensive line, you know, we have a better understanding of this offense and, and, you know, how to do certain things and how to protect our quarterback, you know, know where we have to go at certain times, know when he's going to drop five steps, seven steps, you know, how we have to change our sets up. So, you know, when you're on the offensive line, you know, you just got to, you know, you got to play together and, and have that good chemistry. And, and, you know, that's that's a little awkward, you know, kind of, you know, going forward. Because, you know, you just don't know the guys. But as as the days go, the more and more we train, you know, I see how hard these guys are working here. And I like, you know, I like where we're going. We're talking to Bears offensive tackle and Pro Bowl offensive tackle, Jermon Bushrod and Jermon signed with the Chicago Bears in the offseason. New coaching staff in Chicago, including your former offensive line coach in New Orleans, Aaron Cromer, who will be the offensive coordinator for the Bears. How excited are you to be reunited with Cromer? It's cool, man. Um, you know, it, it, it definitely helped my decision here. Um, not gonna say it made it easier, but you know, the, not really the comfort level. But I, I felt a little better going into the situation, you know, knowing that I wouldn't have to totally, you know, learn a whole new playbook again. And 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 uh, I, you know, I, I like the I like I, I like our new head coach and, and the vision that he has going forward. So. You know, like I said, just going back to it, man. I, I'm excited about this about this season coming up. Uh, this defense that we're going to have, or that you know they always have had here, and you know we can get the things you know rolling on the offensive side of this ball, man. Uh, it's it's going to be exciting. I want to read you a quote that your ex coach Sean Payton said about you. Quote: He kind of epitomizes the type of player we're looking from a, looking for from a character standpoint. Intelligence. He's a tireless worker. He would know exactly what his weaknesses are. He wouldn't BS himself. How does that make you feel 
when you hear Sean Payton say those things about you? Uh, man, honestly, it, it makes me feel a little good. You know, just you know, this, this is a very hard, hard league to uh, to stay in. You know, year in and year out, you have to prove yourself, and you know, you want to go out and you want to do is, is do whatever you can to you know to to make sure that you're still here, to make the, make sure that you're still relevant on the team. You know, continue to put that work in, and for him to you know come back and say something like that um, after the decision of you know uh, of having to leave, you know. That makes me feel good, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to continue to grind, continue to keep that vision uh, in front of you, and, and set those goals, and, and you know, fight to get it done. We're talking to Bears offensive tackle Jermon Bushrod, and Jermon, looking back on that situation in New Orleans, the spe- I can't even talk specifically last season. How much did the whole Bounty Gate situation affect you guys last season? Um, honestly, I don't really know how much it really affected us as it did everything around us. You know, it was just, uh, you know, it was just the fact that, you know, it was always in the news and, and, and you know, all that mess. But at the end of the day, it, it didn't affect our play. At the, you know, we didn't we didn't succeed on the field. You know, if we would have started the season out 4-0 instead of 0-4, then, you know, the stories would have changed a lot. And, and you know, we just would have wrote a different story for last year. But, you know, at the end of the day, with everything that was happening, with all the crazy stories that were coming out, suspensions, new allegations, blah, 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 whatever, um, you know, if we'd have started that season out 4-0 and and we could have kept this thing rolling the way that we knew that we could have and we knew that we should have, right. we just didn't get the job done. So it just made our job and made our life, I'm not going to say miserable, but a little bit more tougher. You know, it was just – right. We we knew the type of guys that we had. Um, you know, you, you hear these kind of things in um in some of these reports about, you know, you know, hit hitting kind of taking shots at, you know, some of my close friends character and, and I knew that wasn't the case and that's what you really get frustrated with the most. Definitely. Definitely I can imagine. It definitely seemed like there was just a, a cloud around New Orleans throughout the course of the 2012 season, but you're off in Chicago now and new things for you. Jermon, you're doing some big things off the field with your third annual Visualize and Rise Golf Tournament and your fourth annual football camp coming up June, starting, in June 4th, starting June 14th in King George, Virginia. Tell us about this great event. Um, man, it's, it's, it's been getting better and better every year, and we're looking forward to it every single year, you know. Um, this is the fourth camp. You know, I started the camp after our Super Bowl season, and that the, the demand with the camp has has just skyrocketed. The first couple years, you know, we charged kids a, a small fee just for you know t-shirts and all that kind of good stuff. But now we've made it free, and I opened up the registration. I want to say, let's say, I want to say Monday, and it filled up in a day. Like 312 wow. kids signed up, or something like that. So. You know, and, and I still have people messaging me, but, you know, unfortunately we, we can't fit all the kids in. But um, over the years, you know, we want to continue to make this thing bigger and better. So, you know, maybe when I'm done playing, you know, we can make this thing a weekend type thing so we can fit more kids in because, you know, I just it feel I feel so bad, you know, not uh, having these kids out there. But at the end of the day, it's getting better. It's getting better year in and year out. Um, now, as far as the golf thing, as far as the golf tournament, this is our third one coming up. Uh, the first year we had one tournament. Last year we had two. Both of them filled up. We raised a lot of money. I have a lot of guys, a lot of my peers come out and support. Um, 
and you know we were able to we were able to to bless a lot of students, a lot of students, not just in the King George area, but surrounding counties. Um, with the more and more funds that we're trying to raise, we're trying to give out more and more scholarships. I think uh, after the first year, we gave out twenty five hundred dollars scholarships. Um, this year coming up, because you know they uh, most high schools are having their like award ceremonies now and stuff like that. So we're going to be looking to give out twenty five to thirty. Uh, scholarships, and we're just looking to continue to to bless as many people as we can. That's that's really that's really what it's about, man. Because you know, at the end of the day, we put a smile on not just a kid's face, but a parent's face too, as well. As you know, we try to help just take a little bit of that burden off of their shoulders, whether it's with books or however they, you know, however they they put this good money to use. Definitely, definitely. How, how's your golf game? It's okay. I'm not gonna lie. It's okay. After <laughs> last year, <laughs> I could sit here and lie, but I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna keep it real with you. It's just okay. You know, after last year, I had the shoulder surgery, so actually the first time I actually played golf was at my tournament last year because you know I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to mess with it too much. But man, it's it's a fun game. It's a game that I've I've seen my dad over the years continue to love and, and just have a passion for it. And, you know, he likes to get out there now, especially a little bit more now that he's retired. And, you know, it's just a good, it's just a great game to, you know, get around a bunch of your peers uh, and just just enjoy each other. And then at the end of the day, it's, it's a challenging game. And when you do well, you want to, yeah, you know, when you do well, you want to continue to play. When you, when you go out there and you have a horrible game, you know, you, you go out there and you hit the ball all over the place, you want to, you know, you want to work on that. So, it is a very social game, and, and I enjoy it, man. And you got to, like you talked about earlier, your peers coming out to support you, guys like Mark Ingram, guys like Roman Harper, Tory Smith, to name a few. How much does that mean to you? I mean, that means a lot, man. You know, in this league, we are very blessed, and, and, and you know, you don't really take anything for granted here, you know. And, and all these guys have um, have charity weekends as well. So, you know, we, we support each other. You know, that's really what it's about, um, you know, giving back. I mean, because we're in a very, very fortunate situation. You know, we get to do something. We get to play a game that we love day in and day out. And for us to give back, that I mean, that that's what really means the most to me, man. You know, you put a smile on these kids' face, and they go and they talk about it all year long, man. You know, I, I think last year we had about eight, we had about eight or ten guys come out last year. Um, and we're looking, you know, to keep that number around the same, or maybe add a couple more. And you know, these kids just love being around these uh, around these players, you know, retired or still the active ones. So, mm-hmm. you know, for them to get out there, it's just a it's just a it's a tremendous opportunity for them. Now, Jermon, where can fans find out information about all the great things going on with the Visualize and Rise Golf Tournament and the football camp? You can find out everything on. I have two websites. I have my personal website. Um, that's just JermonBushard.com. And then I have my VisualizeAndRise.com website that just went up, and that just talks about uh, all the events. And, you know, we're going to continue to add to that. That website just got built, but, built, but you know, it's um, very informative. Uh, registration on there. There's actually, you know, who, whoever wants to give back, you know, there's a donation tab on there. You can do whole sponsors. You know, we're getting uh, 501C3 uh, certified now. So, you know, we're, we're continuing to, you know, get this thing bigger and better, you know, and, and it's going to be something that my family, my wife, uh, 
my father, my mother, my sister, you know, something that we can hang our hats on, uh, you know, when I'm done playing. Because, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it just makes you feel good when you can continue to give back to others. Definitely, and that's always a good thing. Jermon, I know you're big time on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? J underscore Bushrod7475, and that's the same for my Instagram as well. Now, before we let you go, we've got a big fight tonight in Las Vegas, Mayweather and Guerrero. Who you got tonight? I mean, it's hard to go against Mayweather, man. He has way too many W's under his belt. Um, if he takes an L, it's going to be a huge shock to the sports world. So, uh, you know, if I was a betting man, I'd put my money on Mayweather, but I'm not. So, I'm just going to try to enjoy this fight. You got $17 million in guarantees. You got a lot of money you could put down somewhere. I got I got a little man and I got another one on the way, so they kind of they kind of have all that. Yeah. <laughs> Jermon, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Would love to do it again, and good luck with all the things that you're doing. Hey, man, I appreciate you guys having me on. Take care. Yeah, you too. Jermon Bushrod, speaking of one of the kids that he has. He had his kid there. It sounded like one of his kids yelling. He's got another one on his way, so congratulations to him on that. And we wish him nothing but the best of luck. A lot of great things going on in the community with Jermon Bushrod. Make sure, make sure you go to his personal website, JermonBushrod.com, and also go to VisualizeAndRise.org, and that's V-I-U-S-A-I-L-Z-E-A-N-D, Rise, R-Z, R-I-Z-E, Dot org. That's www.visualizeandrise.org. And also go to JermonBushrod.com to see some of the great things he has going on in the community. He's made a lot of money this offseason. $17 million in guarantees, five years, $35 million. $17 million in guarantees. What a country that we live in. Another five minutes left in the show. Another five minutes left in the show. Great show, as always. And, you know, uh, five minutes left in the big fight tonight. I mean, that's that seems to be the, the highlight of many weekends. There's nothing like, and I know the sport of boxing has been down for many years, but there's nothing like a big fight. There's nothing like the buildup of a big fight, the weigh-in of a big fight, just the, 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 all the pomp and circumstance. It's just nothing like it. And that's what we're going to see tonight, Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Money Mayweather, the cash cow in the sport of boxing. I mean, guaranteed $32 million for this fight. That's a minimum. We're talking minimum $32 million in this fight. A minimum of $32 million for Floyd Mayweather in this fight. Wow. it's a lot of money. And this is all before, this is all before pay-per-view numbers and everything of that nature. So this is just the minimum. So the pay-per-view numbers could come back crazy. He can make a crazy amount off the pay-per-view numbers. And so he's going to be getting a lot of money. Floyd Mayweather, they don't call him money, Mayweather, for nothing. And money is in line to make a lot of money. He is in line to make a lot of money. What a country. What a country. And you look at Floyd Mayweather, and he says it, you know what, 30 months, 
My career is over. He basically has got six more fights. He's saying six more fights in that Showtime deal. And what, 36 now? Two and a half years from now, I'll be 38, almost 39 years old. So, I mean, theoretically, it's not a bad time for him to get out. How much does he have left? We shall see. I mean, he's coming off incarceration. He is coming off a long layoff. But as we said before, long layoffs have never stopped Floyd Money Mayweather. They've never stopped Floyd Money Mayweather. Never stopped him. Never. And, you know, last year, he led the whole sports world in money. He earned $85 million last year. So they don't call this man money for nothing. 36 years old. And at some point, you know, you're going to get old in the ring. Bernard Hopkins, we thought Bernard Hopkins was done many times, but he keeps coming back and keep keeps going and keeps going and keeps having success. Keeps having success. Money Mayweather is undefeated, and he, he really cherishes and loves being undefeated. He really loves that O. He really loves that O. And I don't blame him. I really don't blame him. I would love to be undefeated, too. Who wouldn't like to be perfect in their profession? Who wouldn't like to be perfect in their profession? In their profession? Who does not like perfection? We all like perfection. We do. We do. We all love perfection. And I think this is going to be a good fight. I think this is going to be a big fight. And I really think this is going to be a good fight. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm always looking forward to watching Mayweather fights. You know, here's the thing about Floyd Mayweather and the beauty of what he's done in terms of his career. He, you know, we, we get excited. You know, one of the things about that made Mike Tyson so exciting was, you know, the knockout, the potential of knockouts and, you know, how he was knocking guys out left and right and how he seemed invincible. You look at Mayweather conversely, obviously he doesn't have the power that Mike Tyson had throughout his career. Different type of fighter. But what made Mayweather what Mayweather is today is his ability to sell himself outside the ring. 24-7 was a, was a hit for Floyd Mayweather. 24-7, HBO's 24-7 was a hit for Floyd Mayweather. And it made him a household name. Dancing with the Stars didn't hurt either. All these things made Floyd Mayweather a household name. It really did. All these things brought Floyd Mayweather into our living rooms. And that is the part of the popularity. You know, obviously being undefeated doesn't hurt, but I think it's more so what money Mayweather has done outside of the sport of boxing that has elevated him and which has made him a very popular figure universally. You know, he's popular in all, you know, outside of the sport of boxing. And so this is a, you know, this is an event. People having fight parties, you know, celebrating and watching this big time fight. It's May Day. May 4th is May Day. And Money Mayweather is about to make some more money. And he's made a lot of money throughout the course of his career. A whole lot of money. So much money. And he's going to continue to make more money, especially if he keeps winning. He has a poss- possibility when this whole deal is done to make 300 close to in excess of $300 million. That's a lot of money. Floyd Mayweather is Money Mayweather for a reason. I want to thank Carolyn Moose for stopping by. Very, very interesting story went to her being in case to Jason Collins, who, as we all know, came out this week as gay. 
the first uh, professional athletes, first professional athlete in team sports to do such a thing. Uh, but I definitely want to thank her for stopping by. You can feel the pain in her voice and some of the things that she's going through at this time. I also want to thank Jermon Bushrod for stopping by. Go to his website, JermonBushrod.com, and also VisualizeAndRise.com. Also, I want to thank Cliff Roll to BoxingScene.com. Make sure you go to BoxingScene.com and check out some of the things Cliff has going on. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItCan. For everybody here, go for it. See you later. Take care. Bye.